Good day, Industrial Advisors listeners, and thank you for tuning in. If you have not subscribed, please do so by clicking subscribe wherever you podcast. Click the like button and hit the bell if you want notifications of when we put up new content. Leave us a comment about anything we discuss here today or general comments about the show. Now, let's get into it. All right, welcome everyone to our Industrial Advisors podcast. We are here today with our National Director of Industrial, Pete Quinn, and we're going to talk U.S. industrial markets. Everyone knows, you know, Pete's one of our all-time favorite guys, has done just such an amazing job of leading our industrial platform at Collier's for, for, for so many years. And most importantly, we consider him a, a very good friend and love having him on. Most people that know Pete know that he was a starting center for Purdue football for for four years, I believe, four-year starting center, and has been doing the Purdue football commentator for 30 years now, just finished up his 30th year. So loves Purdue, but Pete, awesome to have you on, man. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming. I'm very, very excited about this. It's Your setup here is awesome. I got in late last night, and I walked down here just to check the, the whole conference out. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I hope you guys continue to do this because you bring – such great information, and everybody here, you, you legitimize this conference. They're walking by and watching this, saying, "Wow, we've hit the big time!" Yeah, yeah. something's going on. Yeah. yeah, we got we got Matt and Bill here. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, Pete, I've I've known you for years. I've I've heard a thousand stories, and all wonderful. You're a unique person. One of my favorite stories. Obviously, you were a great. Purdue football player. Tell us about one time you played Notre Dame. You, you, t- you told me a great story, if you recall that one. I, I do, and it's actually a timely story. And the reason it's timely is I don't like a lot of what's going on in college sports right now. Sure. It's, it's kind of driving me a little bit crazy. And I always felt like one of the rules that was a good rule was once you transfer, you can transfer. You know, these kids aren't slaves. They, they can go wherever they want, but they should sit out a year because it's, it makes it very, very difficult to form a team and it, with when a kid can just leave when he wants and just play right away. So that was one rule that was changed recently. And when they changed it, I thought it was a big mistake, but I, the story you're referring to, that's all, that's all I could think about. I couldn't get it out of my head because when I was a freshman at Purdue, we had a new coach and his name was Jim Young. And he, he's a Hall of Fame coach now. I just talked to him last week. It was his 87th birthday and he's, he's doing great. And we're going to have a big reunion in Tucson next year for his 88th. But Jim was rebuilding a football team, and he put in a bunch of freshmen. So we had a freshman center named Pete Quinn and a freshman mm-hmm. quarterback named Mark Herman and a freshman tight end named Dave Young. And we're going against Notre Dame, who's ranked in the top three. And we are 35-point underdogs. This was, this, this was in their heyday, right? This was, this was 1977. They yep. won yep. the national championship. Yeah, right. They were okay back then. <laughs> they, they were very good. Yeah. So we're 35-point underdogs, and, and we're a bunch of young kids, so we're too stupid to know we're not supposed to beat Notre Dame. So we're beating Notre Dame. And, I, and we're beating them well. I mean, at, at the halftime, it's, I think the score is like 14-3. to three, yeah. But it was, we were outplaying them a lot more than outscoring them. Mm-hmm. And we went into that second half knowing we were going to upset Notre Dame and knowing the next year we were top 10 in the country. Mm-hmm. So we became pretty good really quickly. But we go in at halftime. Jim Young gives us the greatest speech ever. He goes, I thought it would take us at least a year to get to this level. We're there now. Let's go out and show the world who Purdue is. 
So we went out in the second half, and we're killing them. By and the way, I'm like fired up right now. Man. <laughs> like, I want to put the freaking pads on, man. Let's Bill's go. going to pop yeah. the table here. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they just they, It was just one of those Rudy games, you know, right. not, not to invoke the Notre Dame yeah, sure. legend. But we go in the second half, and, and we continue our dominance. And they had all these great players, but they couldn't do anything against us. And they had a quarterback named Rusty Leash, and he drops back to pass. They're in panic mode. We had one senior starter on defense, and his name was Fred Arrington. He's a great linebacker. He hits Leash so hard that 70,000 people in the stands just went quiet. Ooh. And ambulance came out. They take Jeez. him, broken collarbone, oh, broken no. ribs, broken jaw, clean hit. It was just a perfect hit. Wow. So they put in a second-string quarterback call. I'll never remember his name, but he came in two plays later. He goes out injured. So they put in a third-string quarterback, and it was a junior that we never heard of, but we thought he had the – Craziest name. I said, what a crazy name. Who who would have named their kid Joe Montana? <laughs> and he's a junior and he's third string. And we found out later that the only reason he even made the trip was because one of their backup tight ends got sick. So they let the junior come because he is a junior. Yeah. They put Montana in and he throws three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter and they beat us and they go on to win the national championship. And so when they changed this rule... I was thinking in today's environment, you're not going to have those stories because no. that, that kid is not going to be a junior or third stringer. He's going right. to transfer. That's right. And now they're paying kids too. So yeah. somebody's going to pay Joe, a Joe Montana-like person half a million dollars to come play football. So it's a different game now. So right. it's going to be an interesting season for me. Yeah, the loyalty isn't what it used to be in college football, right? And part of that is because of that. Uh, at the, well, uh, the main part, it's, it's become a it's, – it's all about me. And there are certain programs it's not about you, right. and those programs are going to suffer. Yeah. But we'll figure it out. We always figure everything out. We'll figure it out. But it is going to be an interesting season because normally, even though we're not going to play our first, we open up against Penn State on a Thursday night, September 1st. I could talk right now about who our starters are, but I have no idea because tr kids are going to transfer right. in. They're right. going to transfer out. So I'll have to wait a couple weeks for the game, so who's going to be playing. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete, uh, great story, by the way. You, you've been at Collier's a long time. You've been a phenomenal leader. Unfortunately, you know, it's like a, it's like we have this quarterback, Joe Montana, leaving our company and leaving and Pete Quinn leaving. And so tell us about your time at Collier's and where you're going. It's uh, I, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, and you're not going to see much of a difference. You will, but other brokers will. I, I won't be able to keep up with everybody. You and Bill, obviously, I'm going to I'm going to talk to you guys as much as I always talk to you guys, but it was a, it was an incredible offer from a client yep. of ours that came to me and said, you know, we'd love to talk to you about coming here. I've always been on the brokerage side. I became a huge Collier fan when we sold. I owned my own company in Indianapolis called Summit Realty Group for 25 years. And when we decided to sell, we looked at everybody, everybody virtually, everybody wanted us. And we went with Collier's because Collier's matched our culture. Mm -hmm. They certainly didn't pay us the most, but they matched our culture. Mm -hmm. And then I started, and I didn't know a lot of Collier's brokers. And then I started meeting Collier's brokers, and they were just phenomenal. I, I was just stunned. And about a year and a half after we became a Collier's company, I was just a broker, but I had met many of the Collier's industrial brokers. They approached me about becoming the national director, which I did not think I would do because I had done that. And... I really enjoyed being a broker, but they came to me and I said no a few times. They kept coming back and they kept offering me different things. And finally, I said, you know what? I think I can make a difference. I, I think because when did. I first came to Collier's, what I used to say was Collier's Industrial is the best kept secret in the industry, mm -hmm. which it shouldn't be. That's not a good thing. Right. Yeah. And because I 
was your competitor for 20 plus years. I didn't know you guys existed. I didn't know what level you had taken brokerage services, the professionalism, the 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 flatness of the organization, the entrepreneurialism of the organization. I knew none of that. So I thought I can, you know, I'm, I'm a very involved person. When I get involved in something like, as you guys know, I got involved with IMC. I ended up on the board. I got involved, involved with IWA. I ended up on the board. I got involved with another organization, didn't like how they ran things. So I started my own organization. I'm, I'm just kind of a doer kind of a guy. And I saw this as an opportunity to work with a lot of great brokers and help elevate Colliers. And, and I think I was able to do that in a big way. And, and I'll continue to do that. I'm, uh, I'm just going to, I tell Matt and you and some of the brokers I'm particularly close to, you won't notice I'm gone because I'm coming to all the Colliers conferences. I'm going to come and see you guys. I'll just be sitting with you instead up on stage. And I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. I'll be able to stay out a little bit later now than I than I used to at these conferences. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say on that topic, you know, Collier's Industrial is, is certainly no longer a secret. No, it's not. You have flown that flag extremely well. That's right. And you have been all in promoting the brand, promoting everybody. And I think it's probably the thing that we do better than anything else as a company is it's, it's our industrial platform. And a big part of that has been your leadership. So the company you're going to what's the what what's the game plan there what are you guys focused on because you know i'm sure we're we're going to be doing a lot of work together well i i gil borak the ceo of the united states for kyers who i have a deep amount of respect and i consider him a great friend he's known about this move a lot longer than you think he has sure. and when i first talked to him and and told him about the opportunity to to get on the development side and to build industrial buildings something always in the back of my head Wondered, I wonder if I should have been on the developer side. Yeah. That's pretty exciting stuff. And so when this opportunity came on, I, I called Gil. I was prepared for Gil to say, Pete, I, I appreciate you. Thanks for what you've done. But if you're going to leave, why don't we just make this your last day? I, I would have bet a million dollars because that's what it's usually happens. Yeah. yeah. And said, Gil, I will stay for another two months if you want me to. He goes, yes, I'd like you to. <laughs> so, <laughs> How about six? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, uh, my last day, I'm going to be with you guys in Charleston for the Logistics and Transportation Conference. We're going to have a lot of uh, great brokers there, a lot of great clients. It's a beautiful part of the world. When we get done with the conference, I'm playing golf with about 12 guys. When I'm done playing golf, I'm, I'm done being a Collier's employee. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a weird trip home because I told my wife for the first time in 36 years I'm going to be unemployed for two days, and then the following <laughs> Monday I go to work for the Sandstone Group, and I'll go out and start building buildings. And I'm looking forward to learning more about that side of the business. I will correct one thing you said that I helped when I came to Cowers Industrial. Cowers Industrial was already very very good, and I think the greatest thing about Cowers Industrial is the leadership like the top brokers, you guys, I, I sell, all I had to do was, was talk about you guys. And as you know, I'm really, really good at talking. Yes, yeah. And so I just started telling people the Collier story and it's an easy story to tell. And one of my favorites, and, and I laugh about it because I, I do a better job of promoting you guys than you guys do promoting you guys. But uh, when you and Matt, as busy as you are, you guys are both you do a phenomenal job being parents. You do it. You're great husbands. You're, you're top producers year in and year out. You're always at the top. Both do charity work. You, I don't know how you do everything you do at the level that you do it, but you do it. And on top of that, during COVID, when everybody else is kind of hunkered down, you guys were out getting your master's in supply chain from Michigan State. And that was one of the greatest stories I ever heard. <laughs> so when I promote 
Collier's, I tell stories like that. You know, what, what's the question you get from everybody? What makes Collier's different? Well, when I was at Summit Realty Group, we had to kind of think through, well, what does make us different? Collier's is a pretty easy story. So I didn't do anything to make Collier's better. I just did a better job of telling the story. Well, you're a phenomenal storyteller, and we appreciate everything you've done. We're going to tap you one last time on your knowledge on industrial real estate in the United States. So tell us, you know, what cities are hot? What are the top cities and what's going on in them from an industrial perspective? It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and it's a hard question to answer. One of the other organizations I'm very involved with, I'm rolling off their board at the same time as IWLA. Yep. So I just spent the last three days in Amelia Island with 103 PLs. Yeah. And, and these are the owners. These are the, they're all in the C-suite. Really great group of people because they all have hundreds of employees, some of them thousands. You have bigger three PLs. You got the mom and pops, but they're trying to figure. They're asking me the same questions, but they were asking me the questions: Where can I get real estate? Mm -hmm. And and it's there is no easy answer because the the traditional markets, uh, the I eighty one corridor, Northeast Pennsylvania, Southern California, Dallas, as we've seen over the last few years, the normal markets you can't find space right now. Right. But even the the secondary markets, the tertiary markets, are having more activity than they've ever had. And what 3PLs are doing, which I found fascinating and I did not know, they're not even trying to get real estate now because even if they can find it, they don't want to pay those rates because they don't feel like they can be competitive. So what a lot of them are doing is they're going through different markets and looking for 3PLs. They don't even care what the client mix is that have long-term leases or own their own buildings and they're buying the 3PLs. Which I thought wow. that was that was pretty interesting. Huh. Something a couple of really sharp brokers like you ought to start looking into and seeing what those three PLs are doing out there. But I think the three PL industry has done really well. They're, yeah. they're kind of like our industry. This, everybody panicked at the beginning and said, "Oh, COVID shutdowns is going to destroy us." Well, obviously, it didn't destroy us. Right. I, I, when it first started coming, our CEO Gil Borak asked me to revise our numbers. I said, "How?" I said, I, I have no idea what impact this is going to have. And he goes, I, I would just suggest, I don't know, maybe maybe go 60% of your plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, okay, that makes sense. So <laughs> I, I got my calculator out, divided by 0.6. I came up with our new numbers, and, of course, we blew it out of the water sure. and uh, did better than the original plan. No one could have seen that coming. No. Hindsight, looking back now, it makes sense, right? Yep. But then when you didn't know how this would impact, that's kind no. of the same with the three PLs. Yeah. And the ones that took advantage of it and the ones that are out in front of it and the ones that were able to get people to work, they're the ones that are reaping the benefits now, but they have the same challenges that we have. And all they talked about for three days in Amelia Island is finding space. It's very, very difficult. Once you find it, how do you make the numbers work and where do you get the labor? So they're really, really challenged with the labor. I have solutions for all of those things that I could fix in one week. But I couldn't do it unless I'm a dictator. I can't be the president and have to go through that process. You have to just let me make the decisions and I can get it fixed. A lot of people could, but it's not going to get fixed overnight. So we, we got some challenges ahead of us. If you're asking me for the hot markets, it's I, I think right now whoever has available space. Good point. I, I remember years ago when I was a broker, I was developer built an eight, 800,000 square foot spec building in Indianapolis. Michael Browning, Browning Investments. Everyone thought, what are you doing? Because that would be like building a 3 million square foot building now. Today, That's what, yeah. yeah, the average yeah. size back then was probably 150,000 square feet. Everybody thought he was nuts. 
But then all of these supply chain gurus that did the, the analysis for all these companies, where should you have your distribution center? They all pointed to Chicago. Well, Chicago had no 800,000 square foot building. So they said Louisville. Of course, they didn't have one. They ended up in Indianapolis. And the building was not completed yet. He had a 15-year lease on 800,000 square feet. He immediately built another one. Immediately filled it. So it's it's like I, I hate stealing things from a Field of Dreams, but build it and they will come. Yeah. You know, it's, if you build the the spec buildings, they're gonna somebody's gonna need that space. That, and I don't know sure. how long it's gonna last. If you can tell me that, that would make my decision to get in development a lot. <laughs> That's later. right. That good point. I'll, I'll answer it. It's yeah. gonna last a long time. It's gonna <laughs> Perfect. Stay We're Perfect. not in the seventh inning. We're in the third inning. Bill, We're gonna keep Bill, rolling. Bill's yeah. never predicted a bad quarter or the Seahawks wouldn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. I've been predicting Purdue basketball to the national championship for the last 12 years. And Ooh, It was this year. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. No, we won't go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still, the fans. wound's still fresh. I know. That's I right. Know. That's yeah. right. So, Well, yeah, as you're heading into development, obviously lots of things are going on in the supply chain. You know, levelers are delayed. And, and so do you have any concerns about you know, the supply chain as you head into the development world? Yeah, but uh, I, I have more concerns about supply chain issues as a citizen of our country. Yeah. You know, what, what we do for a living, we do for a living. We'll figure it out. You know, we're, we're a bunch of smart people, but I get a little concerned for the country and what the supply chain challenges are going to do to our country. It, as far as real estate is concerned, you know, the, the rates hurt the small businessman. You know, corporate America, you know, if you're, if you're Kellogg's, if you're some of the people are attending this conference— they're going to pay whatever the rate is because nothing's changed much. We, we've been saying for years and years, I've been saying for 20 years, that, that in total supply chain costs, real estate's 4 or 5%. That's right. So they're not going to kill themselves. But in, the, in today's world, getting the buildings built will take longer because of supply chain issues, but they'll get built. Yeah. So that doesn't concern me. Yeah. I mean, I just think we are – we are all been in just incredibly lucky to be in this industrial sector and to see where it's it's gone over the last five to, to seven years, even the last couple of years, has been really incredible. So just feel fortunate to be involved in such a great industry and, and with great people. It's been a great run. It's uh, I've been telling people for a long time, I've been in industrial real estate for 32 years and it's the first time in my life I feel like I'm working with the cool kids. Yeah. You know, because yeah. we're kind of looked down on. We're that's, well, we got office, we got retail. Oh, yeah, we got these guys in the back room that do industrial. But there's a lot of good things going on. Number one, we are the industry, the hot industry. Number two, 10 years ago, if you're at a conference, a uh, college conference, you might see three or four females, maybe. Yeah. And because there were no female industrial, you know, they, they went into office. They went into, that's changed dramatically. We're getting more and more females, which I think is good. Because in general, this this might be politically incorrect to say women are smarter than men, yeah. uh, they're, and they're more detailed. And if you don't have, if you're not doing business with a woman, you're probably not doing as good as you can do. But I'm, I'm glad to see the changes in the industry that are there. And I think that I agree with you, and I'm an optimist too. But I do think we've got some legs left in this because people are going to need product. You're going to need buildings to store them in. In fact, I think what we should have done. I, I want to start thinking outside the box. When when the when COVID first hit. And the first reaction, let's shut everything down. I, I was in the car one day, and there was a, there was a news item on, on the radio about how these farmers were trashing tons and tons of food and pouring out thousands of gallons of milk because all the schools and businesses and restaurants were shut down. They had nowhere to send the food. And then about an hour later, there's another article that the food banks were all empty because all these people were going to the food banks. And I thought, what? 
we should do, government can't solve many issues. The government causes a lot more issues than they can solve. But one thing they might want to do, why don't we build super distribution centers mm -hmm. all over the country just for this, something like this happens again. And then when the farmers, when the things shut down, the farmers can move those into the, the government-owned distribution centers, then Great outsource idea. it. Do, do stuff like that. As an, and you guys are both so involved in charities. I am too. I'm on a bunch of charity boards, and I'm very passionate about it. Let's start using our expertise and how can we make this world a little bit better. And that would be one way to do it. Next time we have a pandemic, we'll be a little bit better prepared. Yeah, love That's it. That's right. Well said. Well, Pete, I got, I got to tell you, first of all, having you on the podcast is a testament of who you are as a person. You are a loved person. We're here, we're here live at IAMC recording, and we're in this corridor where everybody's walking by. And I think I've seen Pete wave at 100 people just during this podcast. So I want to personally thank you, not only for being on the show, but for your leadership, for promoting our business, for promoting Colliers, and just being an amazing person that you are. Well, I, I treasure our friendship. I will keep it going. Can't wait to get to Austin in October for Colliers Industrial Conference and sitting in the audience and making fun of the people on stage with you guys. <laughs> and then we'll, uh, we'll have a little bit more fun than I can normally have at those. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Pete. I echo what Matt said. You've been a great for us and, and most importantly, a great friend. So talk soon. You're easy to sell, guys. Thank you. Talk soon.